I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of Cinematic Universe, a podcast that's all about comic book movies, which you can find at cinematicmultiverse.com. I'm Joe Cunningham, and joining me to help make sense of the comics behind the movies are... James Hunt. And Caroline Cedar. So we're delighted to have Caroline back with us again for another Netflix show. I think the last time you were with us was Jessica Jones. Yeah, that's become my uh, my little corner of the MCU is, is the Netflix corner. Because <laughs> you... Because um, you binge watched all of this mm-hmm. right for your av club <laughs> yeah with both this and jessica jones i watched them all in like a three to four day period and write all 13 reviews so i i watched <laughs> this and i analyzed it i can't promise how much i like really remember it. it's all kind of a blur <laughs> i went back and listened to um empire magazine's spoiler special of oh, this smart. Um, which is a very good podcast, but it was it was just good for like reminding me of like they would say something and I'd go like, do I agree or disagree with that? I think I disagree with that. Okay, that's interesting. Or I agree with that thing. Um, but it's a, it's a very good podcast, and it reminded me of a lot of stuff. I was just going to say though, your so your AV Club articles, which I read as I went along, slightly easier in a three to four day span, watching an episode <laughs> and then reading a review yeah. than watching and then writing one. Um, but also, I mean, I remember I was on Twitter and you were getting tweeted by Patton Oswalt, who was enjoying your... Yeah, that was very surreal. I don't know I don't know how that sort of came about. But yeah, he was very kind and said he was reading them, that he was reading them. And yeah, that was a very... <laughs> it's, honestly, it's, the whole weekend was so strange anyway, because I'm living in this weird schedule where I'm just constantly <laughs> watching the show and then things are happening on Twitter and... Again, all a blur, like mostly a good blur, but very confusing. Um, well, that that might be a good point to dive into the show. So this, yeah, this is our, we're going to be spoiler filled from the very start of this discussion. So if you haven't watched the show yet, although you've had plenty of time, so I'm assuming you have done by now, jump out and jump back in whenever you've watched it. Um because I think there probably are more spoilers that we can get to. We did Agent Carter as our last bonus episode, and really I didn't feel like there was that much of that show we could spoil. But there's there's a whole bunch in here because there are mysteries and marvelly things going on here, there, and everywhere. Um, and I think it probably makes sense to split this show up into three parts because the, the 13 episodes kind of split into three parts as well. We have the Punisher arc in the first four episodes, then a lecture in the next four, and then the final five are kind of, they revolve around the hand, but also have the Elektra stuff and the Punisher stuff kind of coming to an unsatisfactory climax in the background (laughs) as well. (laughs) But let's start off with Punisher. Um, What did you guys think of the character and of that kind of mini arc that began the show? Um, so I, this is the one, the first four episodes, are the ones that I, I wish I could sort of go back and review again. Cause I was pretty, I mean, I liked things about the, the first four episodes, but I think I was a little harsh on them mostly because, um, I kind of didn't trust the show to do anything interesting with the Punisher. Cause I think he's this <laughs> sort of like, he's a very familiar archetype of this sort of man, like murderous man motivated by the death of his family to go out and kill people. And so I was like, this show's not, I just don't believe that this show is going to do anything interesting with him. Those first four episodes didn't fully convince me they were doing anything interesting. But as the season went on, I thought he got more and more interesting. And in retrospect, I wish I could go back and like, maybe there were little threads there that I didn't pick up on. 
Um, so yeah, I think in retrospect, I probably liked these first four episodes or maybe like episodes two, three, and four, um, the best, but I think at the time I didn't quite appreciate that. I, I, when we, when you get to the end of the fourth episode, I remember at the time thinking, huh, I wonder, because the fourth episode, Tony Curran comes in and you expect him to be kind of maybe the big bad of the season going forward. He comes in and he takes down the Punisher and he catches him and starts torturing him. Um, except by the end of the episode, the Punisher has um, killed him, shotgunned <laughs> him directly in the face, and has been arrested. And I almost wondered at the end of that for, oh, I wonder if we'll actually see any more of Punisher, mm-hmm. or whether that was just kind of like a, hey, here's an interesting ideological counterpoint to our hero. Um, there's his story, and we'll bring him back in a future season, or in his, as we now know, in his own show. Um, but he stuck around and um, I kind of wonder I agree with you that I think as a character he comes more into focus when he's not just having to go around shooting people and uh, monologuing at Daredevil Um, (laughs) but really the bulk of his arc his plot is it is done right there and then because the stuff that comes after I felt really didn't weave itself properly into the season. The Mm -hmm. stuff with him meeting Fisk in jail. I mean, I loved meeting Fisk again, but it didn't really make sense to me that relationship and how that relationship ended. And the whole, the whole stuff about what was it? What was the, what was the MacGuffin? It had a ridiculous name, didn't it? The blacksmith. The blacksmith. There we go. Black sky and the blacksmith. Two things that don't make any sense and are never explained. Um, (laughs) So yeah, I wasn't as impressed with all of that stuff. Um, James, you like the Punisher on the page, right? Or you've liked stuff from the Punisher on the page? Was was he uh, was John Pertenfall a satisfactory Frank Castle? I mean, he was. The thing that struck me immediately was that he's a lot younger than the Frank Castle of the comics. Like, because obviously he's a sort of Vietnam veteran in there and pushing pushing his forties pretty much all the time. Uh, and this guy's like, I don't know about you guys. I got the sense he was sort of late twenties, maybe. Uh, maybe I, no, I'd have put him like late thirties, probably. Late 30s, I don't know how old John Bernthal is. But James, you thought yeah, Kristen Ritter was about nineteen, didn't <laughs> yeah, you? Before I'm famously, famously bad at that. <laughs> but yeah, even so, I got I get the impression that he's a kind of younger, younger Punisher than the comics version. Uh, certainly, a lot more emotional as well. Like he, he's not recognisably the Punisher from the comics but at the same time I think it's a good version of of that character sort of a you know a more modern version hmm what did you what do you think about the first in those first four episodes the the interplay with Daredevil is that what you wanted to see <laughs> from those two characters is uh, that is that basically what you can do with those two characters when you put yeah, them together yeah I mean that's that rooftop episode especially where they're just sort of hammering out their respective ideologies is that's the kind of superhero crap I live for. <laughs> like any, that's why I love X Men comics because it's mostly just people standing around having philosophical discussions and then a fight. Mm. <laughs> and like so, any time the TV series can get like really deep into that stuff, like yeah, that's where I live. And in regards to all that ideological stuff and I'm going to skip right to the end of the series here but after that big fight that we get on the rooftop where Punisher shows up to shoot some people because we've got to find a way to involve him in the ending um, but Matt does Matt try and kill Nobu? Is that is he aware that that's what he's doing or does he know that he's kind of immortal and he won't die? Or Personally I thought he he attacked him safe in the knowledge that he would come back because it already happened once. Like the it, fact that stick intervened, you know, changed that. But mm. my, my impression was that he didn't cross the line. But do you think, do you think he thinks he crossed the line? Cause uh, if, if Nobu is dead and you threw him off a building, you yeah, know, I mean, I don't think he does, but at the same time he was willing to let Frank kill uh, the blacksmith. So, you know, he's he's skirting the line. I'm not sure he's a- actively crossed it. I found it a really... It was a really weird thing to leave ambiguous. Like, I think I would buy either yes. choice <laughs> that he purposely killed him. Like, I thought he was at that point or that he st- kept to his, like, rule. But to not address it at all, like, that... When your whole season 
pretty much revolves around is it morally right to kill someone and you get that in the Punisher and also in Electra and like even a little bit with Karen to leave it ambiguous whether or not like Matt has crossed that line is so <laughs> bizarre to me and it's even weirder because I feel like they did this last year with Nobu too and we like first thought he died it was very ambiguous yeah. to me if we were supposed to think that Matt felt that he had killed someone which I think just speaks to I don't know. I'm not such a fan of this should you kill someone debate in superhero movies. Maybe it's because I, I just know superhero stuff more from the movies and, and in my mind it's more like an action movie and of course you kill people if they're trying to kill you. Like we, I feel like as a society we all agree that like killing in self-defense is like okay. <laughs> so I don't get too caught up in that sort of debate. And with Daredevil in particular, you have him inflicting such graphic violence on people yeah. <laughs> that for him to be yeah. 100% sure that no one he like punches in the face and throws down three flights of stairs, that he's sure <laughs> that they're not going to die. like Slums yeah. heads into doorways. and So there's yeah. a whole bunch I mean, of the- like, confusion there in terms of his morality, I think. I mean, specifically, the reason I think that debate does work with Daredevil is because, like, his, the character's sort of tension is between what's what's legal and what's mm-hmm. morally right. And I think, like, if Captain America started worrying about killing people, you'd be like, well, weren't you a soldier? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but mm. in the case of Daredevil specifically, like, he, if he go, you know, he's already breaking the law to a point, but his his religion and ethics tell him don't kill someone. So yeah. kind of, uh, I like them dramatising that internal conflict. I do. I, I like the idea of that dilemma in Daredevil. Um, and especially if you're going to introduce characters like Elektra and the Punisher into the season. It did just seem strange to me, like you said, Caroline, that the show, when that is kind of like the central debate of it, um, for it to end on such an ambiguous note uh, and... As well to end on something. I mean, because I, I like Daredevil. Daredevil I like Daredevil. I've enjoyed both seasons of the show, but on both occasions now, I have found that the last kind of two or three hours of it have just fizzled out to the point that I'm like, this needs to end now. Um, and <laughs> this was, it was. I, I was so bored of what was going on with the Punisher and the Blacksmith. I was so confused by what was going on by Elektra and Black Sky, and then. The, the fight scene at the end, similar to season one, the fight scene at the end was so disappointing in comparison to so many other fight, si- fight scenes in the show. Like, that final showdown, showdown with Nobu is perhaps the third best fight that Daredevil and Nobu have had <laughs> in the course of Daredevil. And, you know, we had the Punisher corridor fight. We had the Daredevil corridor fight in the corridor at the start of this season and down the stairwell and the stairwell and all that stuff. And this just for me felt like two years in a row where the show had fizzled out. And I mean, Caroline, I was reading uh, your review on the AV club and you've got all of these questions, unanswered questions from the, from the end of the, from the end of the series. And it does become rather comical when you get down towards the end of that list. And like one of them, like what's in that big hole? in the grounds under one of the buildings that is a cliffhanger at, like, the end of episode eight. And we never go back to it, and we never find out what it is. And what's Black Sky? I I mean, I've got no idea what Black Sky is or why I should be concerned about it. Electra ends up in that big coffin urn thing. I thought someone was already in it. So what (laughs) what were they protecting prior to that? Yeah, yeah, there's. it's interesting with this, these binging shows in particular because I think maybe with a regular TV show that airs week to week, I'm a little more forgiving of like cliffhangers and things not resolved because you're just, you know, you're watching them over the course of like four months and you just sort of forget. But I think with binge watching in particular, like what I want from it is to feel like I just watched a complete narrative, like almost like I watched a 13-hour movie and that even if some things are open-ended, that like those narratives are are reaching some sort of conclusion point. And this show, like, really didn't give that. You know, it kind of just, like, it felt like it was going that way. And at the end, it was just like, oh, and everything's open-ended for maybe Defenders or maybe the next season of Daredevil and that. Like, Mm. when you spend so much time, like, binge-watching it, you're like, no, what? I have, I like, I just remember what happened a couple episodes ago. So I think those questions linger. and, And maybe they didn't quite consider that they were 
you know, releasing it in this, this binge model. Yeah, I, I mean, I, mean I, I think particularly egregious is the Black Sky stuff. I mean, because James and I and Seb, we were discussing Agent Carter on the bonus episode earlier in the week. And on that episode, that we were talking about Zero Matter as this kind of MacGuffin that runs through that show. And it's never that interesting and the plot surrounding it doesn't ever really matter. But at least I knew what it was and what it did and vaguely what the stakes were. Um Black Sky doesn't have any of that, despite the fact that it was introduced a season earlier. And if anything, its introduction or the introduction of saying Electra is Black Sky seemed to me to just remove agency from a character who, up to that point, I had found really compelling. And suddenly she she was a MacGuffin and suddenly she was acting out of character because someone had told her she was a thing that we didn't know what that was. Yeah. I think with, um, with Punisher, I started out sort of tentative on him and then I grew to like really adore him and really adore John Bernthal's performance. And with Electra, I started out like super into her, her first two episodes um, are like, I think those are actually my, my, my very favorite episodes of the season. And then I thought she, yeah, the flashback was great. Um, but then I thought, her character kind of fell apart, not just with the Black Sky stuff. I don't know. I really hated um, episode seven, I think it was, the one where she ends up, or no, episode eight, the one where she ends up, she's like trying to be good and we learn more about her background with Stick and how he maybe sent her to like seduce Matt. And um, Mm. that's the one where she ends up slitting the guy's throat at the end. I don't... Other people seem yeah. to like that episode, so I can't decide if I just had a weird reaction to it, but I thought she was so out of character, and they sort of made her this, like, insane woman, like, I don't know, I, it didn't fit with her, with my understanding of how she viewed killing, like, it felt like she had a mental breakdown, and then that sort of went away for a little bit, and then I felt like it sort of came back with the Black Sky stuff, which I agree with you, like, we didn't, we, the audience, didn't know what Black Sky was, so to watch the character's have an emotional reaction to it when they didn't know what it was. Yeah, exactly. Matt had never heard about it till a few episodes before. So then it was like, why is everyone reacting to this? Like to me, you just said some words that are meaningless. Like I, I feel like Matt <laughs> should react that way. Like, oh, what does that mean? Not like Electra. No, don't believe them. Like I don't know. Maybe she is the black sky. Maybe that's a good thing. I just wanted it to. I wanted them to ask the questions that I had because I felt like Matt and I were in the same like place in terms of how much we knew about this so it's like great he can be my in to learn about this but instead he just had like a very intense emotional reaction to it and i found that very confusing i mean it doesn't it doesn't help that it seems to contradict the previous series as well because like they had that one episode with stick where he goes and finds that kid and kills him off screen because he's the black sky Mm. and so is there more than one can they have lots of them if that's the case does it really matter if Electra's one or not like yeah just it, it raised more questions than it answered and and the the fact that it meant that the final arc of the series was going to be all of the hand stuff like James I know you were saying kind of like <laughs> that's part and parcel with Daredevil you're going to get ninjas and you're going to get the hand but for me I was like well I mean, these are ninjas and they're supposed to be, you know, like the most formidable formidable foes that Matt can face. And yet he's taking down like 10 in a, a minute, you know, in like almost double the time that he was taking down just generic street thugs in the first season. Or even like they, they just they don't seem like a legitimate threat. And they, for me, just made the fight scenes more boring. Like the, the ninjas in this, in this for me were as boring as, you know, the Ultron robots at the end of age of Ultron. It's just like something else <laughs> to throw at your hero and for him to get through. Um, but I, I mean, did, could you, could you get any more excited by the ninjury handy stuff in this? <laughs> I mean, but like, the thing is, that is, that's an accurate depiction of how they are in the comics. <laughs> like, they're just fodder. Like, Wolverine fights them, Daredevil fights them, and they just turn up and get mowed down. And, like, you'll get maybe, like, ten of them in one panel fighting the hero and just being sliced apart. And so, you know, I, so I appreciate... So it's just as unsatisfactory in the comics yeah, as it is. I appreciate that it is 
borderline nonsense, but that's kind of what I enjoyed. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I feel like they did sort of explain it, like when he, he takes the mask off and it's just that sort of kid underneath. And it's like, okay, they're recruiting kids and they're not very experienced. And at the same time, if they die, they come yeah. back to life. So there's not much self-preservation instinct. But <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not Do ideal. they all come back to life? They all, in the comics, they just basically turn to dust and then the accepted feeling as they come back. Okay. Yeah, it's not so like a special case. Why is it a big... So is it a big deal bringing Electra back to life even then? Because that's what, that's what frustrated me most about the ending with Electra was that it seemed to be setting her up as a villain who would be inextricably linked to the hand from there on. And all of the interesting stuff with Electra to me seemed to be her relationship with mm-hmm. Matt and... And the way that those two actors kind of fizzled with each other on the screen, and I'm just not sure. Like I would, I would love to see more of Elodie Young as Electra, but I'm not particularly sure. I want to see more Elodie Young as Electra as a villain who is leading the hand. Um, maybe, maybe it'll actually help because I think the problem with the hand is that they're they're very they're like not personal or grounded in anything which is what i really responded to with the punisher and electra is like they were very they were individuals i understood their stories for the most part i understood their relationships to the characters whereas the hand is like a massive army maybe like a i couldn't quite get a sense of the scale like i feel like there's a war that's been going on for centuries there's a massive army the ninjas are just like you said like just fodder for just killing them but maybe if it's more personal and it feels slightly more smaller scale, it could be stronger. So maybe Electra would provide that. Like, I'm not super optimistic in what I'm saying, but maybe there's a way <laughs> that the show can sort of course correct it in season three. Yeah. Well, I think I think we're probably going to get um, we're probably going to get the defenders first. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe if Electra is leading the hand in the defenders, right? And 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 then there is. There is a reversion back to something different in in uh, in a Daredevil season three in the future because I don't know. It seems like your two main options for the defenders because I think it probably is going to be more Daredevil centric than any of the others would be. It would be Kingpin or the Hand, and the Hand being a little bit more mystical might seem to fit more in with Iron Fist mm-hmm. as well and. And just as just as a bigger threat when you've got four heroes to team up rather than one, so I don't know. Maybe maybe that's where we see Electra next. I have no idea what the Defenders is going to be. That it's very confusing to me. Just just imagining this. <laughs> I do kind of think Marvel isn't that sure either because it seems like they're really rushing the last couple of Netflix series out at the moment. Like Defenders as well specifically had to be out in twenty seventeen, didn't it? Mm-hmm. So they've they've sort of well I think had they to squeeze had, the last two in. I think they always had their plan in place. It seems it seems to me I don't I don't get that sense because they've they filmed Luke Cage that's coming out in September. They're currently filming Iron Fist that'll be out next year, and then we'll get Jessica Jones season two leading straight into the Defenders, which yeah, those, those so, are the two they're apparently filming back to back. So it feels like almost if they were rushing things or if there was any squeeze that they could just hold Jessica Jones back until well, after what, the Defenders, but they're choosing what I not mean to is, do that. What I mean is more it's more like they want to do another Daredevil season, but they can't, so they're maybe going to try and weave those plot lines into Defenders. Because hmm. like, there's going to be no Daredevil next year. So no, are, yeah. are we going to have to wait until 2018 to see what Karen thinks that of yeah. being Daredevil? Like, <laughs> you know. It'll be interesting to see like, who's supporting characters wind up in Defenders. Like whether they're all in it, like all the all of Jessica Jones's friends and all of Matt's friends and all of Luke Cage's friends are sort of like, oh, it's Matt and his friends with cameos <laughs> from the other Defenders. I also don't believe that Iron Fist is happening. Like, I know that they cast it and they're filming it, but I really don't believe that that's happening. But I do think that Luke Cage, I have, I actually feel very confident that it's going to be the best one yet. So that one I feel good about. But Iron Fist, I just I think. hadn't actually, I hadn't actually seen the trailer mm-hmm. for Luke Cage. I know it's not a trailer. It's only like a 20 second clip. Um, but it, it, 
as it, when I was rewatching the end of Daredevil season two just before we were recording this, just to give myself a little refresher of that terrible, terrible Karen Page Pulitzer Prize winning piece of work that she reads out. At the end. <laughs> um, and, and the Luke Cage trailer rolled on, and I was just like, "Oh man, I forgot how excited I was for that show and for that guy and that performance." Like, I'm at, at this stage. I think Luke Cage is the Marvel TV show I'm looking forward to more than mm-hmm. any other, um, and I include like future seasons of the shows I already like there because I just I'm so on board with that character, um, and I love the title treatment of Luke Cage. <laughs> even, <laughs> even the title treatment, kind of like slamming down into itself, was was really cool. Um, I don't know. I, I'm I'm imagining that I don't the four defenders and Rosario Dawson have to be the only yeah. the only dead dead certs there. Because even Punisher and Elektra and Kingpin, you wouldn't be sure about. And, I don't know, maybe Trish? for Maybe they each get one yeah, friend that they can bring along. You each get one plus one. <laughs> but then one. does Matt plus bring one. Foggy or Karen? Neither. Neither. <laughs> I, like I mean, Foggy. I like them. I like them as characters. It's, it's just they don't have much to do over the course of a 13-hour <laughs> series, let alone like a six-hour series where there are four main characters instead of one. <laughs> what did you what did you think of the stuff going on in the background here because it was just for me like I was I, and, and James I think you as well we were kind of on the defend foggy mm-hmm. train from the from the first season because a lot of people don't like him um and I just wanted them to give those two characters something to do or something interesting to do and foggy seems to just continue whining and moralizing at Matt and Karen kind of gets teamed up with the Punisher, um, but it's all tied into her burgeoning journalism career, <laughs> which for me might have been, in even with the Black Sky and Blacksmith of it all, the most ridiculous subplot of the series. <laughs> I do. Uh, to be fair, like I feel like that's a valid extension of the character. Like there's nothing with any precedent from the comics, like in terms of adaptation. But it given what she's been doing in the in the first season and in the start of this one like that you know it seems like murdering aiding and abetting murderers (laughs) it just it seems like a fair place for the character to go if there's no law firm to work at and as for foggy like i think for a start you need him just because he's the comic relief but also he's the guy who says to matt what the audience would say to him like why are you being insane (laughs) so i like him in that capacity as well yeah, like that just... that scene where he chews him out, sort of, and they both storm off. And yeah, when uh, where are they? They're in the courthouse in the men's toilets, maybe. Yeah, like, yeah. That that scene was one of my favourites of the series, just because I like the tension between those characters. Hmm. Yeah, I like them both. I agree that Foggy doesn't get a ton to do, um, which honestly is okay with me. I agree that he kind of works well in little bursts, but I actually thought the season was pretty good for Karen and. I agree that her little journalism thing at the end is so bad that it sort of makes you forget everything that's come before it. But I actually think that she got some pretty good stuff. I was really into her um, relationship with the Punisher. I thought that was really complex. And Mm -hmm. um, one Mm -hmm. of the things that I really liked about the Punisher is I thought he was very fatherly. Like that, more than anything, was sort of his defining factor. Um, He talks a lot about his kids dying. And I just feel like he, he just like handles things like a dad. And so he had this really interesting... Like, they could have gone with the the Karen-Frank thing being romantic, but I thought they went with it being paternal, which was really interesting. And he gives her, like, a lot of yes. dad advice about, like, dating. And <laughs> I thought that was great. And um, I, I can't say that the Karen-Matt relationship was something I was, like, pushing for at all, but I enjoyed nope. how it was done. <laughs> um, I thought... I thought they did it well without sort of reducing her to just being a love interest. Like, she still felt like her own independent character. I thought they had fine chemistry. Um, And I like that I was actually impressed or maybe surprised or maybe this was bad that the show, it never, I feel like it was very much about the fact that she killed someone last season, but it never said that. Mm. And I actually wonder if there's people that maybe don't really remember the first season so well that kind of forgot that. But I think that there's this... It took me a while to remember it. And I was like, oh, that's that's what all (laughs) this is about. It's not just... Because I was wondering for a while whether we were just alluding to you know the kind of the untold things of karen page's past oh yeah yeah, yeah. Um, which 
I kept assuming that that was going to be woven into the Punisher stuff, but they're they're obviously holding that stuff back um, for for some future reveal. Um, but yeah, it took me it took me a while to remember that. But when it when I did remember, it did help things fall into place a little bit. Yeah, better. I'm surprised that right. they didn't they didn't make it more explicit because I think when you're reading that into her character, it's really interesting because every time she's like defending the Punisher, she's essentially defending herself. But I agree that like if mm-hmm. you don't. Like, rightly, if you don't remember that random plot point from season one, I feel like a lot of her arc sort of gets lost. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I wonder sometimes whether this is a show that, as well as being made to be binged for it, just for a season to be binged, that Netflix also have in mind that in five, ten years' time, there are going to be three or four seasons mm-hmm. of this to be binged in a row. Like, you know, the way that you'll just pick up a DVD box set and burn your way through it. But most of those, you know, most of those, like when I'm binge watching The Sopranos over the course of about two or three months, they were not, they were made to be showed episode mm-hmm. by episode. But these are seasons that I imagine, I mean, you, you you could probably just watch all the season one and roll straight into season two and feel like it's part of the same continuous mm-hmm. story, even though there is the kind of shift, shift in pace at the mm-hmm. very least, because in the first four episodes of this, wow. It was absolutely burning through stuff, and I was like, well, "Season one by <laughs> by four episodes in, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't think we'd even met the kingpin at that point." Same with Jessica Jones. Jessica Jones had that same ponderous pace, and this was going. I don't know. Half of New York's criminals had been wiped out, and the Punisher's arc had already started and ended, and we were and a lecture had arrived, and I was like, "Wow, okay." <laughs> um, I, quite, I I quite liked the way that they. They went a bit more helpful ever in this one, though, because th- there was a lot more stuff to fit in. Um, although, weirdly, not one overarching villain. Because mm-hmm. Punisher's there at the start, and there is no mention of the hand, and then Elektra's there, and there's kind of like the. Uh, which originally, it seems like Roxon um, is, is going to be the thing that they're investigating and getting to the bottom of, and then Stick turns up, and then Nobu turns back up, and the hand. And, but really, there is no one clear villain, um, which is definitely in sharp contrast to the first season, which, especially in the back half, could have been called Kingpin <laughs> rather than Daredevil. And I wonder how successful you guys thought that was, because I thought it was interesting not to have one main villain, because I know a lot of people were expecting Bullseye to show up but before the end, um, because there had been rumours when this second season was being cast up that Jason Statham was being sought for that role. Um how did you feel it worked without one key villain? Did it did it still feel like a like a coherent season, even though it didn't have that one key threat running the whole way through? I liked it. I mean, I go ahead, James. Yeah, I was fine with it as well. But I, I just, I sort of feel like Matt's struggle with himself was enough of a sort of compelling story, like particularly the the plot thread of. Does he throw away his personal life to become Daredevil basically full-time? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And which he, which he basically like, does. Well, yeah, that's, that's what I liked, that they got to the end and the story was, this is what it takes to make Matt give up being Matt Murdock. Hmm. And like for me, that, that's enough of a that's a strong enough arc that you don't need him to necessarily be fighting the same guy for 12, 13 episodes. 
it is interesting, isn't it? Because I remember in the first season we were talking about how we wanted to see more of him lawyering and we wanted to see more of the kind of <laughs> duality of Matt Murdock and Daredevil. Whereas this second season does just show him kind of getting more and more addicted and not being able to take a night off and just sabotaging his professional life, his personal relationships and basically everything other than his life as Daredevil. Um, and I think Electra works really well in that middle third of the series to to draw him deeper and deeper into that. I, I, I really liked the the scene in the stairwell at the just before the final fight mm-hmm. in the 13th episode. It's the, it's the one moment of that finale that really works when the two of them just pause and go, hey, we're both probably going to die, but if we don't, should we just run away? Like, <laughs> he is addicted to becoming Daredevil, but he's even more addicted to her, in a way. Um and I, I, just, I thought it was a, I thought it was a fantastic little pause in, uh, in an otherwise not great finale. <laughs> yeah, I thought so too. And I hadn't actually thought about this before James said that, but I feel like the season it was a lot of characters that like reflected Matt or like were potential versions of him, like the Punisher's one and Electra's one, and even like yeah. Foggy, the legal whiz that he becomes mm-hmm. is one, and maybe Karen because she's going through this whole murderer thing too, even though Matt doesn't really know that. But there's sort of I think you're right that the season is really about sort of analyzing the character as a whole. I thought from just like a pure watching point of view, I really liked the little mini arcs because it was, I think when you're binge watching something, it can get a little, you're like in the weeds or it feels repetitive. And this was like, okay, we got one little thing done and I got the benefits of binge watching, but I also, it still feels episodic. It doesn't, as much as I want it to feel like a 13 hour movie, I also like don't, because that would be terrible to just watch a 13 hour movie. (laughs) So I liked the little arts. Um, I think because it doesn't stick the landing, it's easier to sort of be like, Oh, well that didn't work. But I think until I got to those last two episodes, I really felt the structure was working. And then like, it's disappointing that it didn't, they didn't pull it all together in the end. But I think while I was watching it, I probably enjoyed this structure more than I did the first season. Yeah, I just I just think maybe what they chose for that third arc didn't didn't completely work. Maybe if I don't know what if Punisher and Elektra had have come face to face at some point, and that that had have you know that would have pulled those two narratives um, towards each other, and that would have been the clash towards the end. Um, and Matt getting kind of caught in the middle of that, rather than all of the the hand stuff that didn't make sense. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I I also just wanted more when you're when Punisher was becoming more and more interesting in uh, as as a person in that back half. I wanted more than him to find out the guy who was responsible when it really felt like he'd already kind of got all the people that were responsible. Anyway, I didn't really understand what the blacksmith was separate or why it why it mattered. Why it mattered as an audience member who who he was going to have to kill right at the end. The, lo- the logistics um, of the Punisher backstory were nonsense. Like, I I didn't like them. It didn't make <laughs> sense to me how, like, how his desire to have someone individual to blame for this, like, what was essentially a random act of violence. Like, I get that that's kind of, like, the character's yeah. a little unhinged, but it felt like it, we didn't need all of these conspiracy theories and stories. And, and I, I like the idea that, I feel like that's kind of the decision Frank comes to, too. He's like, whatever, I'm tired of dealing with this. I'm going to kill this one person and in my head say that I'm done. And I kind of like that, but I don't like that. <laughs> I feel like the show is hinting at, like, Blacksmith will become relevant again because I don't want to watch that. Oh, I hope not. I hope, he, <laughs> I hope Punisher just goes off and does has some completely new, different adventures in his like, own it is, that it, is a, it has nothing to do with any of this. It is a bit like the sort of Batman thing of he can't stop the people who killed his parents because then he doesn't need to be Batman anymore. Like, once Punisher's killed the blacksmith, like, his job is done, surely, and it, mm-hmm. it kind of feels like, where's where's the next step for the character? And that, that's, that's something that interests me for his solo series, is his kind of crusade is so personal in this that how do they set it up for a sequel that is just Frank Castle shooting criminals because that's <laughs> his calling now? <laughs> like, and uh, so, or yeah. otherwise it's going to be a retread. Like, it's it's hard to say. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm interested to see what that series will be. Um, 
Uh, yeah, I, I, I would have no idea. James, you said that... So he finds... The thing that he finds at the end, it says micro on it. <laughs> That's yeah. a comics-relevant thing, right? Yeah, so in the comics, he had a kind of sidekick-type... Uh, he was sort of a weapons manufacturer. He drove the Punisher's battle van. Uh, and it was a guy called Microchip. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. Yeah, so <laughs> that's, you know, he turned up in the early 90s, so that's why. Back when Microchips were cool. Okay. <laughs> so uh, that's so, probably... Yeah, that's so that, that CD is presumably stuff. something related to that. I'm not sure, like, what's on that CD. Like, is it Micro's address? Like, uh, who knows? <laughs> Maybe Micro not... is like a program now. It's not. It's like person. Jarvis. <laughs> what, like Jarvis? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to. I would love the Punisher going around with a little voice in his head. <laughs> he could use one. <laughs> he definitely. I did could. love the moment yeah. where I think the guy's name was Ray, the guy that turns out to be the like mastermind of all this, and he's sort of monologuing, and Punisher just shoots him in the head. I was like, oh yeah, okay. I appreciate this character in that moment. Like it was a great. Like, very subversive thing. Like, nope, I'm just going to kill you. I don't want to hear this. That was when... Because I don't think Punisher on the page is a character I feel like I would love. But that was the moment where I was like, this show's done a good job of selling me on him. Because I really enjoyed that. And he really (laughs) does fit into the ultra-violent world that this first seat... That the first Mm -hmm. season of Daredevil (laughs) established. Because I I guess... I guess if you if you're gonna do Punisher, you might as well go for it. And the f- those first four episodes are so bloody and violent. Like even in comparison to the first season of Daredevil, I mean that when he's getting tortured by Tony Curran and then pulls out the razor blade and shoots him in the face, yeah. and that is just wow. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you would see Punisher and he, you know, by the end of that opening four episodes, his face is in pieces. And when he shows up in court, his face is still kind of swollen up and you can barely see one eye and it starts to go down a little bit and down a little bit. And then he goes back into prison and has that corridor fight and suddenly you're like, oh Jesus Christ, they've gone, they've gone even further. <laughs> With him in that white jumpsuit, which turns to red... And you get kind of the skull motif there as well. It's just, it is, yeah. You, you wouldn't want to watch Daredevil if you're feeling a little bit unwell. <laughs> I think it could. I think it could definitely tip you over the edge. <laughs> I did. Uh, I remember in episode twelve when uh, the two members of the chase are just sitting in the car and they just both get like shot in the heart. <laughs> and I remember like having a real moment of, I'm really feeling my mortality in this series. <laughs> Like, I just, this overwhelming sense of, like, the horror of death came over me. <laughs> just from all the murders I'd witnessed. That was the lecture that time, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, who is just as murderous. It's a weird thing that the show wants you to really think about death in a realistic way and be like, wow, this is, like, such a big decision whether you're going to kill someone and look at how much destruction it could cause. And at the same time, you're also supposed to be like, that was so cool when he killed those people. And it's a weird, <laughs> like, cognitive dissonance. Because it's like... And I think that the hallway fight in the um, prison, that might be my favorite action scene of the season. I think that they tried they tried a little too hard to recreate the season one hallway fight in that building where Matt was, like, going up and down the stairs. But I think that the prison one was better because it was like felt like a new twist on it. But that was, I think that probably did the best balance of being like, this is horrific, but also beautiful. Um, other times yeah. I feel like the balance like got away from the show and they didn't quite know what they were doing as well. But I thought that that hallway fight was mm. like, it was so scary. Anytime that they would make you feel really sympathetic for Frank and then the next scene he would be like m- murdering people. It was a great, it was a great like challenge <laughs> to me as a viewer to be like, oh yeah, this, this guy is scary. <laughs> so I thought that that fight was just great. Well, that seems like a good point to segue into what I think, if anyone has ever heard me talk about Daredevil before, was my favourite part of the series. When the Punisher enters the jail and is walking down the corridors (laughs) and is walking further and further and we're building towards something, I was like, is it? Is it? And I literally stood up and punched the air at the end of that episode when Wilson Fisk was revealed. Because I was like, yes, he is here. And honestly, every second that guy is on screen, I I think that performance is phenomenal. Um, I love that like he goes toe-to-toe physically with the Punisher. That he, in uh, 
when he's <laughs> with Matt at the desk and he slams his head to the table and and like he's that's not Matt going oh I have to hide the fact that I'm Daredevil I can't escape he's he is incapacitated by the kingpin at that moment and as far as I'm concerned Wilson Fisk is the best Marvel villain full stop like you can take your Lokis <laughs> and your purple men and I don't know that might be it um, <laughs> and Malekin the, I thought the, what was his name <laughs> Definitely, definitely <laughs> most iconic villain. Yeah, maybe we can throw Zemo in there now. But Fisk is Fisk is something else. I love that. I love that character. I love that performance. And every second he was on screen during this season was my. Fa- they were my favorite scenes, all of them. Even when I didn't understand what was going on with him and the Punisher and what he wanted. I guess he kind of wanted him out on the street to take out his competition before he gets out there, but um, I, the fact that he wanted to kill him in the middle of that as well didn't make an <laughs> awful lot of sense. But are you guys as enthusiastic as me, as a little bit enthusiastic? Because Fisk is the next... He's going to come out of jail. He's going to find out that Matt is Daredevil and shit's going to go down. And that, for me, is... <laughs> you've got me sticking around in the Netflix Marvel universe until that happens. I'm so psyched for that. Yeah, I love him as well. I, you might love him a little bit more than I do, but um, I think that Probably. just speaks to <laughs> more your than anyone, I think. amount of love. Um, I was so glad I wasn't spoiled on this. They were really smart in not sending out the episode where he appears to critics so people couldn't put that in their advanced yes. reviews. Yeah. Um, but I was so shocked. I had just kind of assumed he wasn't going to show up. And it was such a great surprise And I thought it came at a really good point to sort of, I think when I was just watching the start of the season, it's easy to be like, oh yeah, Punisher's like Fisk. They're both really violent people. And you just sort of remember that. And then when you actually see them together, you're like, wow, these characters could not be more different. And that Frank is so much sort of about instinct and that um, Fisk is like so careful in how he plans everything. And we get that great, like, 10 minute opening montage where we like catch up on what he's been doing in jail and we see how I wanted that to be the whole <laughs> yeah, episode yeah, I, I did really too. <laughs> wanted it to be the whole episode <laughs> um, like that was so great and just seeing them together was such a great contrast that really sort of put like put Frank in a better context for me so I thought it was really cool from his point of view and I feel like I said everything now I've just listed like 12 things that I've said are my favorite but I really did love the um, Fisk-Matt <laughs> confrontation as well like it was a good Ugh. moment for Matt to be a little bit arrogant and be like oh I can handle this and to remind us of how powerful Fisk is and to maybe set up an idea that like I read it as Fisk picks up on the fact that there's more going on with Matt than meets the eye and so that will presumably mm. lead him to an investigation that I'm assuming will lead him to discover Matt is Daredevil so it's sort of setting stuff up but it doesn't just feel like it's setting stuff up and yeah I thought it was phenomenal it was just a, such a surprise how he was used and when he was used and and I like that the season kept me on my toes because I don't know if I expected it to do that and it, it for me it rewarded season one stuff as well when Matt mentioned Vanessa yeah um I mean it did make me I I think personally I preferred the first season as a whole um, I enjoyed, I mean, I, I loved, I loved some of the scenes here, which were just, or, 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 and some of the on-running stories, which were just the relationship with uh, Matt and Frank and Matt and uh, Electra and, you know, a, lo- a lot of the individual stuff going through all of that. But for me, the presence of Vincent D'Onofrio just reminded me of how much I loved his arc throughout the first season. And, um probably just put this a little bit of a notch below, but made me already assuming that Daredevil Season 3 is going to be better than both of them, <laughs> because ho- hopefully it's going to be doing some Born Again-y-inspired stuff. James, you you think they're going to go down a different route, don't you? Uh, well, I mean, it's definitely going to be influenced by Born Again. I, I wonder if they'll combine it with Out, which is the Bendis story where everyone discovers he's Daredevil. Because that's a for me that's a sort of more interesting take on the character is to turn him in, into this sort of urban legend, the lawyer who is also a superhero, hmm. uh, and that for me that's a more interesting status quo than like the kingpin takes Matt's life apart and then he puts it back together. Yeah. But I mean, you know, there are there's plenty to cherry pick from with those characters. So just any any reason to see them engaged in the sort of battle of wits is going to please me 
Battle of Wits physical, but that's that's what I love the most about Fisk. I think is that as well as seeming like this, you know, <laughs> such such a careful planner, is that you can see him face off against Frank Castle and make the Punisher look small. Like the way they shoot Vincent D'Onofrio mm-hmm. is fantastic uh, because he is a big round guy, but also a guy who believably is breaking the Punisher's nose. Like for me, and, for me, it was that moment where he is talking to Matt and he just sort of explodes in a sort of violent yeah. rage. And like you, it's only then that you realize like he's got the whole prison sort of locked down because like there's no one to stop him and Matt's trapped, you know, literally in the room with him. It's a great moment where you were like, Oh, Matt's in control. And you're like, Oh no, no, this is going really bad. <laughs> and, like I felt panicked for it, even though, I mean, I guess I, obviously I knew he wasn't going to die, but it, it does such a good job of being, of making you as the audience, like put you in Matt's shoes, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. I, I just thought everything with him was fantastic, and I'm. I mean, uh, for me, that's that is the strength of Daredevil. Two seasons in is it is in the characters, and Marvel Marvel has a way of doing this. It's why it's why maybe a movie like Thor: The Dark World is absolute nonsense, and no one really looks back at it fondly. But when you rewatch it, it's not torture mm-hmm. because you've got those well established characters that you like having really good individual moments even even in the worst marvel stuff you've got thor having a scene with loki and you know even in that you know uh iron man 2 you've got you know you've got great stuff going on with robert downey jr doing his thing and gwyneth paltrow and um justin hammer and all that kind of stuff and for me daredevil has got almost all of its key characters very, very right. Like, I want to see more of Punisher. I want to see more of Elektra. I want to delve into Karen's backstory. Um, I want to see another season of Daredevil where Matt is even more in focus than he is here because he kind of has to share proceedings with the Punisher and Elektra and all that stuff. And I kind of... I, I, I still feel like there are more depths and more facets of that character to see. And they keep getting that stuff right and they keep getting the characters interacting with each other right in that the scenes are compelling and that the ideological stuff and the, like you were saying, Caroline, the mirrors of the different characters against each other, all that stuff is compelling and interesting. And it's what gets you through 13 hours of TV when in the middle of that you're going, what's Black Sky? What's the Blacksmith? And actually, what what am I hoping happens by the end of this season? Um it's it's that that drives you forward, um, and and that that for me is is what you know what really works about all of the Netflix stuff, not just Daredevil. Yeah, comparing season one to season two, this is something I made in my reviews. Maybe it's, it's controversial, but I think season one is like the Batman Begins in that it it does a really good job of focusing on Matt in particular, and that is something I really appreciate about both Daredevil season one and Batman Begins, and then. Season two is kind of like the dark night and that maybe it's objectively better from like we talked about like a structural point of view. There's a lot more stuff going on. Maybe it's even more thematically rich, but I think it it arguably too much is going on, which is something I feel about, especially like the end of the dark night. It's like, oh, and now we have this whole other thing shoved in here at the end with Two-Face, which is kind of how I feel <laughs> about um, the hand stuff here. And then... Um, I think it loses a little bit of the focus on Matt, even though I was saying there he is sort of reflected mm. in the other characters. I think he is an individual. Just because there's more going on, he just gets a little lost. Um, and I think that's why I end up preferring the first season to the second, even if I think maybe the second is like objectively a little bit... I don't want to say better constructed, but it's certainly more surprising, and I like the little the structural choices they make. Um, but I think the first season, it was just dealing with themes that were a little bit more interesting to me. I think it was about um, a little bit more about Hell's Kitchen in general, more about the sort of Matt's working class background and his relationship to his father, which I loved. And then really about his Catholicism, um, which was one of the things that I, like made me love that first season so much. And I think, I don't really mean this as a critique, but I think that those things get dropped in season two in place of like, more about Matt's uh, romantic relationships, the like the vigilante mm. stuff that we talked about, like will I kill, will I not kill, um, and then his legal career, which I think is something the first season didn't do. So it's like a trade off in what it's exploring, and I just happened to like the first season's like what it was exploring a little bit more. 
Yeah, for me as well, the first season felt a little bit more grounded in reality, mm-hmm. in the fact, in the, the <laughs> uh, and and a few more a few more shades of grey, in that you had the the, the real the, the central thing of it was this real estate guy trying to exploit a shattered area of New York, um, going up against a guy who was trying to protect the people who lived there. It felt. There was there was a lot more going and you know checking out with the actual residents who lived there. You had a bit more of that with Rosario Dawson, um, and uh, this season felt a little bit more about superheroes and how they relate to other superheroes and um, and then ninjas, <laughs> 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 um, which which just it, it didn't feel quite as grounded for me. And I know that's a silly word to use in relation to superhero stuff and Marvel stuff any time but um relatively <laughs> less grounded i know that's the kind of stuff that i probably say and i can just imagine james in front of his microphone shaking his head going what are you on about joe <laughs> <laughs> no i mean like it's all it's all the marvel universe isn't it like you can do the grounding stuff and you can do the crazy stuff and mm. i feel like i the crazy stuff is what i enjoy so i'm i'm a bit more on the side of season two even though I think season one was better constructed and more like thematically rounded, but all my favorite stuff about Daredevil was in the second season. So. Right. <laughs> I also thought it was, I mean, I could actually make a parallel with this from Matt Murdock in, in Daredevil season two to Steve Rogers in Captain America Civil War. And my, my complaint with Steve Rogers in Captain America Civil War was that when he was around, he just always seemed to be fighting. There wasn't enough time to actually, you know, spend the time with him as a man, as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that was probably a similar thing with Daredevil here, that he was just Daredevil so much that I wanted a little bit more Matt Murdock. Um, and I think that's maybe why I'd really like to see... Um, something born again inspired from a Daredevil season three in that if you tore down Matt Murdock um, you would you would really get that introspection of the person and not just of the not just of the hero um, but I mean again this is another thing a lot of people came and said to us after our Civil War episode oh did you couldn't tell if you liked it, it was like, no 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 we really liked it we just we just we just thought it was interesting to point out some of the problems this is still a season of television that i really quite enjoyed um i just a couple of plot things held it back for me um but i mean i yeah i mean and, and we have we barely mentioned charlie cox's performance which i think now it's just a given how mm-hmm. good it is and mm-hmm. how compelling he is despite you rarely seeing much of his face or even his eyes you rarely see his eyes and um he gets so much across and yeah he is he is still for me central to what works so well about this show really all the performances i thought john bernthal and Elodie young were like the amount that they were able to do with those characters with like so relatively little screen time is like really impressive like those characters are both i feel like i have such a strong understanding of who they are and they're really like, at times, sort of, like, subverted expectations, like, Bernthal being, like, he's very calm a lot of the times, which I, I think is a really cool choice. Um, so, yeah, I agree that the performances across the board, like, really help elevate things. And, of course, like, every time Rosario Dawson's on screen, I just feel like the episode, like, goes up a letter grade because she's so likable and oh, great. Gosh, yeah. And I wish she had been <laughs> in the season more because she just sort of, like... I think she's a good grounding influence. She just comes in. She's like, you're all crazy. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. And she's just so level-headed. And I want her to just sit down with all the characters and talk them through <laughs> all of their problems. Well, she's the other She's the other reason we're all so excited for mm-hmm. Luke Cage. Because we know we're going to get more Rosario Dawson there. Like, more than we got in this season, at the very least. And that's going to be fantastic. Um, Frank Burnfall's... Uh, sorry, Frank Burnfall. John Burnfall's performance. It almost seems insane to me that we've got Frank Grillo playing Crossbones in the movies and John Burnfall mm-hmm. playing the Punisher on the small screen. It's like, shouldn't that be the other way around? <laughs> <laughs> like, Frank Gillow's fine, but, I mean, Burnfall's fantastic. Yeah, he's so good. And that's, and that's Crossbones, and this is the Punisher. How, is, how, have, you, how have you managed to work things out like that, Marvel? <laughs> well, I mean, it's the same as, as having Martin Freeman and uh, Benedict Cumberbatch in there. Like, eventually they'll just get everyone... <laughs> Like everyone's going to be either in the Marvel universe or the DC universe. So. 
Yeah, I mean, so the the, the big screen universe now has two Sherlocks and one Watson. We're, we're, <laughs> we're, we're a Jude Law short of the full set. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, well, um, I think that just about brings things to a close. Um, have you got anything else that you want to point out? Any other particularly favourite moments or just stuff that you uh, love? I've got, I've got one very quick bit, which is that I like that they finally gave him a proper billy club. Yeah. Uh, oh, yes. When, when the gladiator gave it. I'm oh, disappointed. Oh, mentioned that. The, the costume has immeasurably improved. Mm. And... The fact that most of the fighting is going on when it's dark, that they sorted out the mask, which I think was the most crucial aspect of things, that even if the costume isn't exactly what you want it to be, when he's in motion, in action, at the night time in Hell's Kitchen, it looks fine. Mm-hmm. It's not It's not a distraction, which the end of season one kind of looked like it would be. Yeah. <laughs> well, they took, off, great. they took off the sparks when he gets hit, which made him look like a Power Ranger. <laughs> So I'm glad of that. But yeah, the one thing I'm hoping for the Billy Club is that uh, there's a really famous sort of early Daredevil comic where they show you like a pinup of everything that's in his Billy Club. One of the one of the things he's got in there is a micro tape recorder. So I'm hoping that's in there. <laughs> that's my season three wish list is the micro recorder in the Billy Club. Could he not just use his iPhone? <laughs> this, this, he hasn't got an iPhone in the comics don't be ridiculous everyone's got a micro recorder in their pocket everywhere they go now James wow. it's, it's probably not essential for him um, Caroline anything that you wanted to point out or? yeah I'll just say I really loved episode 5 which was the one that I think is like kind of contrasting Matt and Electra versus Matt and Karen and he goes on that little date with her in that beautiful like Indian restaurant that I've been to before I was really excited to see it so I've oh, been wow. there before. Awesome. Um, and and you get like the flashback to the boxing ring and the flashback to being in that house where they're going to try to kill the guy that killed Beth's dad. And I, I thought that, because I agree with you, Joe, that like I think the Matt half of things got a little lost to the Daredevil half of things. But I thought that was a great episode of, of like putting the focus on Matt and sort of exploring the idea that like Karen brings out the Matt Murdock side and Electra brings out like the the inner daredevil side of Matt when he's Matt like he doesn't even need to be wearing the costume so I thought that was a really cool sort of interrogation of him as a character and also them as characters like they didn't get lost in the shuffle and I really loved that one shot where he I think he like kisses Karen on the stoop and then he walks and the camera like follows him and then it sort of spins around and you see like all the grittiness of Hell's Kitchen and it sounds like people are yelling and it sounds gross. And it's just like a really cool camera motion to sort of uh, like show that transition from this like bubble he puts himself in when he's with Karen hmm. versus like the sort of darkness of Electra. I just thought that was a really smart and cool episode. And I think that was one of my favorites of the season. Yeah, I just I just brought up your review on the AV Club and I was just looking at some of the pictures from that episode to, to reminding me which one that was. And you've got um, Matt laid down having cheese mm-hmm. carved on which, and you've also got a, a shot of the sex scene with mm-hmm. Matt's like uh, uh, hand wrapped around Electra's neck. And there is there's something they they do a really good job with those two of yeah establishing that kind of that. The, the raw sexuality in that relationship and the danger and the violence that's inherent inherent in all of that. And you're right, the contrast with Karen, they're kind of walking down the streets holding hand with a peck on the cheek and then we get we get that stuff there. It is uh I would say it's never really a love triangle, mm-hmm. but it's um but it's 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 always a, it's a really interesting thing that they explore with the two of them. Again I kind of feel fumbled right in the finale where oh Lecture's dead, I'll go yeah. to Karen. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't sure what was going on there uh, I also did wonder at the end of that at the end of that episode whether Matt couldn't just order himself like four or five of those coffins and then just if he does ever kill anyone accidentally just bring it back and say now don't do that again or I'll kill you for real next time or I'll set my mate Frank a get out of jail free card I think Game of Thrones is having the yeah. same problem I think anytime you come up with an idea that death is not permanent in your world, you just start going, well, why don't you just bring everyone back? Yeah, I still can't wait to see how the third Star Trek movie deals with the end yeah. of the darkness, where 
death is cured so that we could do a callback to a movie that was released 40 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me and James will follow that up on our Star Trek podcast. <laughs> you would love that, wouldn't you, James? I would yeah, listen. Absolutely. I would be your most, uh, uh, your biggest fan. <laughs> Um, okay, well, um, it was a, a great chat about Daredevil Season 2, um, but I think that brings things to an end this week. Um, so we have got another episode coming later this week. Yeah, three three cinematic universes in the space of a week. That's pretty cool. Um, uh, you probably know what that next episode is going to be about, um, but... If you you know if you're not sure yet, stick around until the end of this episode, and there'll be a post credit sting on the end of this one as well, um, telling you what we're, what that episode will be about. Um, but we'll skip the usual boring outro-y stuff. We'll save all that for the uh, <laughs> for the main episode at the end of the week. But Caroline, thanks for joining us again. Oh, always. I love coming here. Um, if you want to hear more of what uh, Caroline thought about Daredevil season two, just go and binge read all of her thirteen <laughs> reviews on the AV Club because they're fantastic. And Patton Oswalt agrees, so uh, that that should be that should be a recommendation <laughs> enough. Um, but James, you and I will be back later in the week. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you later in the week. Goodbye. Everything they've built will fall, and from the ashes of their world, we'll build a better one. Cinematic Universe returns in a few days' time with X-Men Apocalypse.